0: I want to encourage you to take your Bibles and turn, please, to 1 Corinthians 13. And if you want to read ahead, we're going to be in Luke 15 also this morning, so we'll be in both places. 1 Corinthians 13 and Luke 15. The title of this morning's message is His Love and Your Happiness. His Love and Your Happiness. For the last several weeks, we've been studying what we usually call the love chapter. And in this chapter, there are 15 descriptions of love, what true love is. And we know that the only one who has ever loved this way is Jesus Christ. And so as we study the love chapter, we're really studying the character of Jesus. And every person here who knows him, who has put their trust in him, they know that the holy spirit has come to live inside you and the the holy spirit is the spirit of jesus christ and so what we are describing here you are capable of not in your own strength but through the indwelling presence of jesus christ first corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 the bible says love suffers long and is kind love does not envy love does not parade itself is not puffed up does not behave rudely does not seek its own is not provoked thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity but rejoices in the truth bears all things believes all things hopes all things endures all things love never fails and our focus today is going to be on verse six we're going to look at the next two verbs does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. And so these two actually go together, and they are intended to be studied and reflected on together. What makes you happy? What this verse describes is what makes love happy. What makes Jesus happy? What's described for us in verse 6? Does not rejoice or get happy about iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. So what makes you happy? There are research uh, studies that think of happiness only in terms of your chemistry in your body. And so they'll tell you that if you want to be happy, you have to start the day with a good breakfast, good night's rest, exercise, and that your happiness can be controlled by things like that. Others will say, just take a pill, and that'll that'll make you happy. Um, And so we have, in our culture, in our world today, an, an approach to happiness that reduces everything to just how you feel. But when you deal with people, there are things that people do and say that affect you. How do you respond? How do you respond? What do people do and say that capture your heart? What do people do and say that causes your heart to freeze up? When you come to know his love, that part of you that gets happy changes. When you come to know his love, that part of you that gets happy changes. It's kind of like the army sergeant who asked a question of a room full of new recruits in basic training. How many of you gentlemen smoke? And a few men raised their hand. And he said, congratulations, you just quit. You have to think about that. When you come to know Christ, there's a part of you that gets happy, that responds with joy, that gets exuberant, that has a sense of well-being about what's happening in life around you to people things people are saying, things people are doing, and your heart responds a certain way. But when you come to know Christ, all of that changes, and it does change immediately. Now, how does Jesus change you and me? Let me let me start with this statement. His love will redirect your happiness. His love will redirect your happiness. Now, how does he do that? Not long ago, again, I tried... A new restaurant in Jonesboro and um, and I liked it. I liked the food that they served. It was good but then they brought out the rolls and I couldn't care less about the rest of the meal. My my whole interest and uh, delight shifted to those rolls. It's kind of like when you're at home and uh, for some length of time you have enjoyed a certain kind of popcorn let's say it was Orville Redenbacher's popcorn okay this is movie theater butter Orville Redenbacher's popcorn and you say that's my favorite and then someone comes along and tries out skinny girl popcorn and let's say your heart shifts all of a sudden man you can't get enough of the skinny girl popcorn and uh, and all of a sudden you're not at all inter- interested in Orville Redenbacher's popcorn You're all about the skinny girl popcorn, just like I was about the rolls on that particular night in that restaurant. What has happened? Well, my appetite has shifted. What I enjoy, what I'm attracted to, my appetite has shifted. And that's what Jesus does when he comes into your heart. Your appetites begin to be affected, and he begins to change you. His love changes what you care about. Jesus explains this to us, this process. In Luke chapter 15, and so if you've already found it, I want to call your attention to several verses there. Luke 15 and verse 1. Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, truly illustrates for us what it means when it says that love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Luke Luke 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained saying this man receives sinners and eats with them so he spoke this parable to them saying what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it and when he has found it he lays it on his shoulders what's he doing rejoicing rejoicing now look at verse 8 or what woman having 10 silver coins if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. Now look at verse 20. This is a story of the prodigal son. And it's about the father. And, uh, but there's a moment in the prodigal son's journey where he comes home. And in verse 20 we read, and he arose And came to his father but when he was still a great way off his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and then in verse 32 in a conversation with the older brother we saw the father says it was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found so here are these scribes Pharisees watching Jesus Interact with the wrong kind of people. These are the outcasts, the religious outcasts. They were not welcome in the synagogue, and they didn't want to be in the synagogue. And Jesus is interacting with them, eating with them, very intimate act in that culture, in a picture of acceptance and uh, receptivity to another person. And they're critical of that. And Jesus looks at them and he says, let me tell you a story about a shepherd who went to find a lost sheep, about a woman who lost a coin and who searched until she found it, about a father who lost a son to prodigal or wasteful living, and he waits and he receives that son when he comes home. And Jesus is telling them that when you know love, when you know the love of God, it's going to teach you something. It's going to do something inside of you. And so there are some basic things that you can expect. And this really is a kind of way for you and I to look in our heart and see how I'm doing. Am I growing? Am I becoming what he wants me to be? Is Christ being formed in me? What are some of the things that love changes about me? How do my appetites change about what I like and I don't like? Well, number one, his love will lead you to be grieved by sin and lostness wherever you see it. His love will lead you to be grieved by sin and lostness wherever you see it. Remember our verse, love does not rejoice in iniquity. Now the word rejoice that we saw in 1 Corinthians 13, that word describes a state of well-being. And that's why we use the word happy, because if I was going to describe happiness and this word rejoice, they would kind of go together. And then it says that love does not rejoice in iniquity. And that word there describes a way of doing life, a action, behavior, things that you and I do, that is outside the boundaries of what God says is good. You could use the word wrongdoing. Some translations might say, does not take pleasure or rejoice in unrighteousness. But it's describing behavior, things that you and I do the point is this, love does not get glad about the bad, if that'll help you remember it. Love doesn't get glad about bad things. God's nature is not to rejoice in iniquity. In Psalm 5, verse 4, he writes, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. Now, there are some people who enjoy finding faults in others. God is not like that. He doesn't take pleasure in wickedness or finding things wrong with other people, and so when God's love fills your heart, wrongdoing is never a trigger for happiness. Love does not rejoice in iniquity, so how should I respond to it? When I see something happening in somebody's life, they're doing something, saying something that's not right, that I know offends God, that I know hurts them, that I know hurts others. Well, it's interesting in 1 Corinthians 13, it seems that everything Paul is saying has an edge to it because he's speaking to who? The people in Corinth. And earlier in the letter, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1, Paul says this to the people of Corinth. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. So he looks at these guys, the people in Corinth, and he says, you're puffed up. Here's this thing happening in your church. When you look at it, it is particularly obnoxious to God. I mean, it's, it's behavior that's offensive even to people who aren't Christians. And he says, how are you responding to it, people of Corinth? He says, you're puffed up. Does that mean they were proud of what the guy was doing? No. This word puffed up, we've studied it earlier, but the word puffed up that's used here occurs seven times in the New Testament. Six of those occurrences are right here in in 1 Corinthians. And this was a problem for the people in Corinth. They They were proud. They were arrogant. And you see it in the way they related to other people in the church. There were divisions. And uh, people would say, I am of Apollo. Somebody else would say, I am of Paul. And they were arrogant about that. They would get angry at each other, and they were taking one another to court. They were having the Lord's Supper, like we're going to have next Sunday night. And they would come, and they would jump people in line, just like kids in a cafeteria. And, um, and they would, the people in front would eat all they could first, and there wouldn't be anything left for the people in the back. And he says, you are so filled with yourself. You are so caught up in what what matters to you and what makes you happy and what, what is of interest to your heart that things are happening around you that should break your heart and you are insensitive to it. It's not even registering. In contrast, the shepherd, the woman, the father are brokenhearted over the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. His love will lead you to be grieved by sin and lostness. There's a second thing. His love will never let you enjoy the harmful effects of sin in someone else's life. Love's not going to enjoy Sin in somebody's life. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. How does the shepherd respond when he sees the sheep? When he finds the sheep, does he say, "You dumb sheep"? That's what happens when you wander. You shouldn't have wandered. And uh, and I'm taking such great pleasure in catching you in wandering. Does he do that? No. Does the woman talk down to the coin? Does the father, when the prodigal son comes home, does the father go to the prodigal and say? Well, you can come back home, but you're going to have to work it off for a while. Uh, You have really messed up, son, and I'm forgiving you, but it's going to take a while before I relate to you the way that I did before you left. Does he do that? No. How do you react when you see someone doing something that's wrong? Are you happy about it? You say, well, no, that would be kind of satanic you know, to be happy about someone doing something that's wrong? Are you laughing at it? You know, there's a lot of things you and I laugh at that we shouldn't laugh at, that we shouldn't particularly enjoy in terms of our entertainment. Do you get excited when you see someone doing something wrong? Something on the news, something on the television, something in the community. Do you immediately grab your phone and start texting to somebody else? Pick up the phone call somebody else. Let me tell you what I saw happen today. Do you seize the opportunity to condemn? You see someone doing something wrong, and and you're all over it right away. And um, your gift of criticism comes out. What about this? This may even seem spiritual. You see someone doing something wrong, and you say, and and as a consequence of that, something bad happens to them. You say, way to go, God. I mean, they deserve that. They had it coming. And I'm so glad that you're a God of justice. Can I tell you that that's not justice in your heart at that moment? That's malice. That's malice. Proverbs 24, 17 says, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and do not let your heart be glad when he stumbles. And so love changes that. Love changes what your appetite is for, the things that make you happy. Love will lead you to be grieved by sin and lostness. There'll be nothing about it that brings you joy. His love will never let you enjoy the harmful effects of sin in someone else's life. But thirdly, and we can shift gears now, His love will create a desire in you to see truth changing lives. Love rejoices in the truth. Love rejoices in the truth. Now this raises a question I thought about this week. Uh, how I could do that I thought about using two big signs but I think you can I think you can stay with me here love doesn't rejoice in iniquity that's unrighteousness that's behavior that um, that is outside the bounds of God's uh, love for us and what he knows is best for us okay so love does not rejoice in iniquity or unrighteousness so if love is going to rejoice what do you expect him to say next love rejoices in, if it doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness, what do you expect it's going to rejoice in? Righteousness. In other words, if God's not happy with bad behavior, then what he must rejoice in is good behavior, right? And, and it doesn't do that. And I, honestly, it causes me, just as a Bible student, to scratch my head and say, well, why is that? Why isn't the opposite the thing that that brings joy to God, why isn't it righteousness? Because unrighteousness is a symptom of a much deeper problem. Unrighteousness or bad behavior, you think, well, my, my worst problem is that I lie. Let's just pick one. You say, my problem is lying. Your problem is not lying. Lying is a symptom of a much deeper problem. You say, well, my my sin, my my problem is anger. And so that's my problem. I I just love to get angry. I love to lose my cool. I love to blow my top. And, And yet anger is not the issue. Anger is a symptom of a much deeper issue. And the much deeper problem is that you and your heart at that moment are not tapped into the life of God. You see, everything that you and I do that's wrong is because we're doing life without him, without his help, without his guidance, without him in me. Not leaning on him, not looking to him, not longing for him in any way. And so the the issue is not what I'm doing. The issue is am I rightly related to him or not? So unjust actions or wrong behavior, they violate God's Standard but when a person does this that is a symptom the solution is not found in reversing the symptoms What's the solution when we go back to Luke 15 verse 14? And we're going to read exactly how this works in somebody's life Okay, his love's going to create a desire in you to see truth changing people, okay? His love will create a desire in you to see truth changing lives In Luke 15, verse 14, the prodigal son, you you probably know the story. The son uh, doesn't wait for his father to die to get his inheritance. He goes to him and says, I wish you were dead. Give me the inheritance now, in so many words. The father gives it to him. And it says when he goes off into a far country, in verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. So, so he's as low as you can get. If you're Jewish, working with, with pigs is not culture. <laughs> and and it's a bad day, it's a bad moment in his life. He's already at the bottom. He has lived a wasteful life. He's spent everything the Father gave him. He has wasted it, and now he's at rock bottom. Now, this is the moment that love longs for, okay? Are you hanging with me? This is the moment that love longs for, what happens next, when truth transforms a human life, verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to despair and I perish with hunger? I will rise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. His need, he had a problem with wrong living. His need wasn't to start living right. His need was to reenter a right relationship with his father. And so many times you and I approach a relationship to God like that. We say, well, I'm either doing the right things or I'm doing the wrong things. And love's not necessarily rejoicing when suddenly you start doing the right things. Love rejoices when you come to your senses and you realize what I need is not just right living. What I need is a relationship with the Father. I need to know Him. I need to go back to Him. I need to be in a relationship with Him. I need to see Him. Things were better with my Father. And it's the truth working in the heart that does this. The the lost son begins to think in his heart and the truth settles in, the truth about his life. And maybe that's where you are this morning. Maybe you're at a moment where the truth is settling in your heart and like this lost son, you begin to rethink your whole life. You're saying, you know, it's not just the way that I'm living, it's that I'm out of a relationship with God. God wants this to happen to people who don't know him. Every person in when that doesn't know him, God wants this to happen to them. Every person even sitting here in the pew this morning, if you don't know him, God wants this to happen to you. He wants the truth to sink into your heart into your mind. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes these words, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Then he says in verse 3, For this, this praying, this praying for all men, is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Why? Why is it good to pray for all men? Because of the longing he has. Verse 4, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. Not just that I'm a sinner, but that he sent a Savior. He sent Jesus for me. And do you hear God's heart like that? If love rejoices in the truth and what truth does in people's lives, that it's transforming them and, and radically changes them, if that's what love rejoices in and it causes a father to, to seek for the son, it causes a shepherd to, to seek for the sheep, doesn't it stand to reason that if God Almighty lives in your heart that that's what your heart is going to begin to do? Love changes its appetites, the things that makes it happy. So love rejoices when the truth brings the lost ones home to the Father, period. Why do we show baptisms on the screen? Does that seem a little different or odd to you? You know, several weeks ago we realized, you know, this is the most important thing that happens when God changes a human life for eternity. And uh, if you're in one service and not in another, and we baptize in one. We want you to see what happened. We want you to see what God is doing. How every week for the last six weeks, people have been coming to know Christ. God's at work. This makes him happy. His love will lead you to be grieved by sin. His love will never let you enjoy the harmful effects of sin in anybody's life. And then thirdly, his love is going to cause you to long to see what happens when truth changes someone. But last of all, number four, his love will prompt you to celebrate when truth wins. We've seen how that happens with the father. He throws the party, doesn't he? Big feast, invites people to come. I want you to see what happens with the shepherd. In Luke 15, verse 6, And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven. This is Jesus talking. More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. What's happening? He's saying that when the truth comes in, the truth sinks into somebody's heart, the prodigal comes home, the sheep is found, the lost coin is found, there's dancing in heaven. And what does he say? He says, rejoice with me. Love rejoices with the truth. We see it with the woman in verse 9 of Luke 15, and when she has found it, this lost coin, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me. Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God. Well, if it's not the angels rejoicing and it's joy in their presence, they're standing around and watching somebody get joyful. Who's getting joyful? Who? Who's getting joyful in the presence of the angels of God? Help me! God! he's rejoicing. So I want to ask you a couple questions. Who's rejoicing? You know, if it's the shepherd is a picture of who? God. God rejoices when that sheep is found. He says, rejoice with me. The woman represents God, searching for the lost coin. What does he do? There's rejoicing the presence of the angels of God. What do they say to the people around them? What does the shepherd say to the people around him? What does the woman say to the people around him? What do they say? Rejoice with me. God wants you and me to get happy about the things that make him happy. And we're not. Something's broken with our happy maker on the inside. Are we rejoicing about the things that gladden the heart of God? Some of you, it's way past time for you to get happy. We have such a consumer mentality infecting the church in North America. Well, I like that church. I don't like that church. They sing the songs that I want to sing. They have the programs that I like. They meet my needs. And pastors who fall into that trap will begin to to say, how are we doing in meeting the wants and needs of the people around us? The the desires that they have, the consumer desires, orientation that they have it and we look at the things that we think measure that we look at attendance we look at giving we look at all these different things but have we ever stopped and said are we looking at the things that make God happy his love will prompt you to celebrate when truth wins what is the win what is the win when I was uh, in the workaday world some years ago, in an engineering firm, we came to a place in our office, a branch office, where we weren't getting enough work. In a consulting firm, um, you get paid by other people to do work for them, and we weren't getting enough work. And so we were doing everything we could to keep the office afloat, we were turning off lights. We were we were not going to the office supply stores often. We were saving money on things like paper and paper clips, changing up brands. And finally the owner of the company, the CEO of the company, came over to our office to have a little talk with us. We thought, oh, this is not going to go well. And we're all gathered around a table and he walks in and he says, he says, what's happening here is that we have forgotten. What makes this business work? We have forgotten what the win is. And he said, winning in this business is not how many paper clips we didn't buy, how much money we saved on office supplies, or how well we saved on electricity by turning off the lights. Winning in this business is a build hour. A build hour. And, you know, I got thinking about that, and I thought, you know, he's right. Everything rises and falls in the office on the build hour. Do we have work to do? And, and are people hiring us to do work? And, and are we billing out that time? Sometimes we look at our church budget, and we say, well, uh, that the, the we're not doing so well. And so what we need to do is we need to cut back, and we need to cut this out and cut that out. And we think that's going to take care of the problem. But that's not going to take care of the problem, is it? Because ultimately what happens Is people don't want to give to budgets. I mean, how many of you are motivated to give to a a piece of paper? We have forgotten what the win is. And what is the win in the life of Wynn Baptist Church? The win is this the win is when someone turns to God and becomes a follower of Jesus. That's the win. That's it. It will never change. Go and make disciples. Go and preach the gospel to all the nations. The wind is the same, whether it's here or over the ocean. Somebody decides to follow Jesus. The truth comes in. The truth settles in. And their life is changed forever. Jesus died to see lives changed like that. In Hebrews chapter 12, the writer tells us, this is not on the screen, but he says, speaking of Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. I don't know what you're going through right now, but it's not ever going to be as bad as what Jesus experienced when he went to the cross. And it says that beyond the cross, there was a joy, and there was a joy set before him. And he said, because that was in front of him, the joy, the win for Jesus, whatever that was, however you want to describe that, the joy that was before him, he endured the, the whipping he endured the carrying of the cross. He endured being nailed to that cross. He endured even more bearing our sins on his body on the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him. What was the thing that made God happy? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why? For the wind, for your soul. For your soul. And for the soul of every person that you know. That's the win. Well, how do you need to respond? You know, I can't manufacture love like this. I can't. Love does not rejoice in iniquity. Love rejoices with the truth. All of these things we've been studying, we understand now, I hope, that I can't give what I don't possess. The only way I can possess this kind of love is if that kind of love possesses me. If the Lord Jesus Christ comes into my life and fills me, so I've got at the bottom of your handout this morning some possible ways that you might respond to what God has said to you this morning. I want you to look at each of these for just a moment before we go into our response time. How do you need to respond? The first thing I wrote is I need help to find my way back to God. Maybe as you read and you listen to what we've talked about today, you you see yourself as the sheep that has wandered. You you see yourself as the coin that is lost. You see yourself as the son who has wasted his life up to this moment. And you say, I need help to find my way back to God. In just a moment, when we stand and sing, there'll be pastors standing at the end of each aisle. And I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to ask you to stand up out of the pew and to come and to say, I am lost. I want to be found. I need to be saved. I'm the one that has lost his way, and I need help to find my way back to God. I need to put my trust in Jesus and and these guys these pastors that are here they are shepherds they will share scripture with you you can read it for yourself they'll read it to you and they'll help you and you can decide for yourself this morning this is my way this is this is how I come to know God and you can leave here this morning having put your trust in him and not no longer leave here lost and you can find your way back to God. There's a second option here. I've messed up my life, and I'm ready to come to God. I mean, you're at rock bottom, and you're like the prodigal in the pig pen, and you're coming to your senses, and you say, all I can do from this moment forward is mess up my life, so I'm going to give my life to God, and I invite you to come. The third option, I want to help someone I know discover the truth. And I realize now that, that I've, I've been concerned about their behavior But I haven't understood that the key to changing that whole person's life is not by getting them to do right, it's getting them to come to a place where they know Christ, where the truth settles into their heart. And I want to help someone discover the truth. And maybe there's somebody on your heart this morning, as I've been teaching, and and God has brought someone to your mind, a, a family member, a friend, somebody that you work with, I don't know. And you're thinking in your heart, these thoughts are coming to you. I I want to rejoice in the truth. I, I want to be like God dancing in heaven. When someone comes to know Christ, I want to help someone. And I've got someone on my mind. And this morning, if that's you, when we stand and sing, I want to invite you. You can come and pray at the altar. You can pray there in the pew or in the balcony. But if God's speaking to your heart, this is the God of the universe speaking. And would you just take a moment and say, God, I hear what you're saying to me. The last one I have there is, I want his love for others to flow through me. I want his love for others to flow through me. You may have trusted Jesus years ago. You may have been baptized like Jed was in the the screen that we saw a moment ago. But you realize, you know, I've been all focused about whether I was doing right or not doing right. And, And I've tried to live my whole life just trying to do the right thing. But I realize now that what I need Is the love of God in me, flowing through me, changing me and flowing through me. I need the love of God affecting the way I I look at others. I need the love of God affecting the way I talk to people, the way I talk about people. I need the love of God in my own heart because, Lord, I feel like I'm a dry wasteland. Is that where you are? Is that your heart today? Do you feel a deep, deep need? know the love of God I'm going to invite you when we stand and sing to just to cry out to him if the words in the song answer that cry use the song but cry out to him say God fill me fill me fill me whatever it takes wash away everything else let your love be the thing that rules and affects my life change my appetites Lord change the things that make me happy to the things that make you happy Let me ask you to bow your head and to close your eyes. As we close this morning, would you pray with me? Father, we recognize this morning that whenever we gather to worship, that it's no accident that you gathered each person here, that you brought each one here for a purpose. You don't waste our lives And you don't waste any moment of worship. So Father, as you have spoken to each of us, I pray especially for the one who knows what you have said, who knows what you're saying to them, and they sense their need to respond to you. Father, I pray before that person runs off to try to be a better person that this morning they would encounter your love in a powerful, overwhelming way. That they would know that you are a living God. That every word you have spoken is true and eternal. That everything you do is colored by the love that you have for us. I pray that person would know your love. That everything else that fills their heart, hatred, bitterness, unforgiveness, indifference, whatever else may hinder your work in their heart, I pray that your love would come like a flood. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.